I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Welcome to Exploring the Prophetic. I love exploring the theme of hearing God's voice and seeing what happens in the world around us. And I've invited so many of my friends to this conversation to the table to talk about their lives and how, especially people like my guest today, how, you know, he's a second generation Christian, I'm a second generation Christian. How is the kingdom look different when you're shaping it, not from running away from the world, but running back into the world? And my guest today is a man named Phil Smith. He's from the UK. We did this recording live at one of our events that we were just out in London not too long ago and then in Manchester. And Phil was my my live guest and he was sharing really from a unique perspective. Now, Phil's background is that he used to do tour managing for groups like Paramore and others, uh, famous bands. And he helped Bethel and Jesus Culture really get the, a grip on what it is to tour and go around the, the world with their music. And at the same time, he uh, took over his parents' church which was uh, a vineyard in Manchester called Vine Life Church, and it's transitioned now to be part of the Jesus Culture family. And so even just the transition of that, how he helped to transition a church and a movement in the UK, as well as help Jesus Culture get the footing for their uh, touring and also helped other groups, like I said, Bethel and others. And he's just such a brilliant man. He's a brilliant thinker. Him and his wife, Sarah, they lead the church together. They both are amazing in just their message, their values, their culture, the way they lead their family, the way they lead their church. You're going to really enjoy his perspective. So as we listen today, I want you to keep an incredibly open heart to listen to his process of how he's heard from God, especially in the points of transitioning movements and things that other people are leading and those kinds of things and help to be a great resource to others. Well, before we get there, I have some things we're working on I want to share with you right now. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic Audience, I have a new book out called Modern Prophets, and I wrote this book specifically to give a theology, but also practical application for how to apply the gift, the ministry, and the office of the prophet into your lives. And I'm giving you not only the theology of why it's a big deal to understand the prophetic and how you can engage this incredible gift set in your life, but also I'm giving you a lot of starter models and a practical application for how to do this. One of the things I love right now is that God wants to bring dignity back to the prophetic. There's billions of dollars going to the psychic medium industry because prophets have not risen up. People have not risen up with the true prophetic gifts to hear God's voice. God has an original intention over all things he created, and we get to see his intention. We get to call it forth on the earth right now. So this book's going to help you do that. It's available in bookstores all around the world right now. It's in several languages. Modern Prophets. Get yours at Barnes & Noble's, Amazon.com, or BullsMinistries.com now. I'm so excited you're with me here. This is amazing. I'm in your hometown. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. Well, it's great to be here with you and with your family. I mean, your son's grown like a half a, a foot He's taller since than I me. saw you. Yep. A foot in one year. Did it hurt? He went like this. Whoop. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, he's taller than you. And now he can beat you up. This is good. Yes. No. So Phil has uh, some of the, the best stories. And he, we, I want to start out all the way back to how God put you in the music industry for a little while. What I want to talk about, like, how did that happen? You were a pastor's kid in here in the UK, and then somehow you ended up in Nashville. Tell us a little bit about that story. 
Yeah, I was, I was actually working on staff of my dad's church, working on staff of uh, Vine Life, which was amazing. And um, just through a, a succession of really uh, random connections, I uh, ended up speaking at an event in, uh, in California. I'm a drummer myself, and uh, I, really random story. I bought a drum kit from a custom drum company based in, uh, very near Hollywood. And, uh, and that kit had got lost. Anyway, I was out near Hollywood. I said, hey, I'll come, come, visit, um, come visit the shop. Uh, and long story short, that evening, uh, some of what are now my really good friends uh, in a band called Paramore were playing in Hollywood. And, and the guy who owned the custom drum company said, hey, would you like to come and hang out with them? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, that'd be great. So we went and uh, saw this show in Hollywood. And, um, and uh, I got to meet the guys who were in the band and just uh, and built up a friendship. They were actually coming to the UK a month later. And uh, what transpired is, is I helped them with a lot of their pre-production. Um, so just helping them get over here. And then I went on that first tour. This was a tiny, small band. They were playing uh, venues of around a couple of hundred all across the UK. And, uh, and I jumped on that tour with them. They found out that I was involved in, in leading a church. I was on the staff of a church. And they said, hey, would you just come and encourage us? They were, they were Christians, but not in a Christian band. And they said, hey, would you just come out on tour with us? And it was really just an opportunity to go hang out, which was fun. Anyway, you fast forward um, several years, and, and uh, this band just uh, routinely said, hey, when we go out on tour, would you fly out? Would you be our tour pastor? Would you come and just help us and be on tour? And this was a, a, that stage, a, a small band. So in the seven years I worked with them, uh, they, uh, like I said, started off playing little small venues. The very last tour that I did with them, they played uh, two nights sold out at the London O2 Arena, which was 32,000 kids. So... Uh, and again, throughout that time, we'd worked with a bunch of different musicians and a bunch of different bands, but uh, God was just breathing on them and their success journey. And it, it, uh, yeah, it took me to some really fun places to meet some really interesting people who, in that particular area of um, culture in terms of music, these are guys who are out on the road, uh, not really connected to any communities. There are many, many people who love Jesus in the entertainment business, but don't fit the box of Sunday church just because they're often not around. And, and so in trying, trying to find desperately ways to uh, connect to community, connect to people, have people like I was that could, could journey with them and speak into their process and their journey and their story and be a part of bringing courage into a, an environment where, uh, where the, the things that are naturally afforded to us that have regular nine to fives, like being able to go to a small group and be able to go tend to church, it's just not afforded to them because they don't run that kind of lifestyle or that kind of schedule. And so, I, yeah, I felt, yeah, it took me to some really bizarre places and doing some really bizarre things. There was one evening where I was, um, I was the bottom of a human pyramid in a hotel uh, uh, with Gwen Stefani standing on my back with her kids uh, having party games because we went out, out on tour with No Doubt for um, a couple of months. And then uh, I was actually marrying one of the guys who was in Paramore. And I look up, and I'm just about to start the ceremony, and Taylor Swift sat on the front row. And I just think, man, I just got to meet some pretty interesting people yeah. who um, actually, there's a lot of people that love Jesus. Absolutely. And, are, and um, are just trying to find their way in that environment and that culture. So it was uh, pretty fascinating. What's interesting to me, too, is that there's a lot of people right now, I, I, as a pastor and somewhat of a chaplain of, of Hollywood Ministries, Entertainment Ministries, I've had to give a lot of ministers permission to go to people's shows because that's even controversial to go to a concert sometimes. 
I've had to give people permission, like, no, 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 engage culture, be a tour pastor. I helped set up one of Justin Bieber's tour pastors. And he was, he was like, I just need someone who could help me save spiritually plugged in. What do I do? And we got this kid to go with him. And he went with him and traveled with him for about a year and a half. And it was night and day different for him to have somebody who, it wasn't about accountability, but to have somebody who was helping to spiritually navigate and pour into him. And so it's, it's a really beautiful new theme that you were forerunning. And especially with the band Paramore, who, who did come from a Christian background. We didn't get to meet each other. But one of my team members who traveled with me for about a year and a half, I guess he discipled the drummer and a couple other people, you know, Tyler. And uh, so Tyler took me one night. I remember I didn't know Tyler was like, super hooked up to people. And he was working for me for over a year. And he goes, hey, we got to go meet my friends. We're going to Malibu right now. And we drove out there. And I was so tired. And I get out there. And it's Paramore and Katy Perry. And we're just hanging out with them. And I'm like, how do you know these people? Like, what's going on? And, and I'm just thinking, like, you know, these, they've had an exposure to so many really good Christians. They were telling me stories. The band, the, the, the girl who sings, and I just thought, what are their names? Haley. Yes, Haley and her brother, I believe it was, were telling me stories of the different people they've got to meet. And a lot of them were from our stream who prayed for them. And I think it's so significant that someone like Phil, and I'm saying it because we have an audience, but someone like you, Phil, would have uh, this kind of opportunity, but also they need it so bad that it shouldn't be unexpected we should actually ex expect more opportunity in this kind of arena, but I'm so encouraged you went there. So first of all, thank you for that. So what happened where you were doing this for a while and all of a sudden you made a big transition? Yeah, I, I learned a lot in, in that. And um, around that time, uh, 10 years ago, I began to talk, Sarah and I began to talk to my parents about um, taking on the leadership of, of the church that they, we'd planted as a, a family. The five of us had planted 29 years ago a vineyard church here in Manchester. And yeah, I just began to explore with them what the next season for Sarah and I and our family. And um, it was really beautiful. My parents were in their mid-50s. I don't know most of you know, but church transitions don't often go that well. Usually church transitions are marked by like somebody who sins or somebody who dies. Like that's usually the, the two ways that churches like tend to transition. But my parents were in the mid-50s, believed in Sarah and I, had immersed us in an environment where they um, absolutely believed in us and gave us lots of room to grow and build community and build family in the context of what God was doing here in Manchester. And so it was an amazing opportunity. But I actually, I wanted to mention one of the things that um, I pulled in was one of the experiences I'd had um, when I'd met somebody on the road, we were doing, uh, Paramore was doing a, a, a big show down at Earl's Court. So this is something like 25,000 people in Earl's Court. And I was, uh, I was back in catering. I was going to go get some food. And, and this was a moment where I feel like God spoke to me about what our future would look like in terms of church and building community and building church. But I walked into this uh, catering which I very quickly realized wasn't the general catering. It was a private catering for one of the bands. And there was a guy sat at the table, and, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to walk in on your catering, your private catering. And he said, no, 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 it's cool. Come sit down. If you're looking for some food, just have some of your food here. And, and I sat down with uh, Jared Leto, who is, uh, who is, he has a band called 30 Seconds to Mars, but he's actually a, He's a Hollywood movie star. He's been in Fight Club, uh, Suicide Squad recently. What else has he been in? Um, he was Joker, if you don't know who Joker and Suicide Squad. So he's a character actor. It's really amazing. So anyway, he is this uh, kind of A-list celebrity. And he said, hey, why don't you come sit down? And he was asking me a bunch of questions about why I was there and what I did with Paramore. And we had this kind of half an hour uh, interaction where we were, I was just talking about the kingdom of God and talking about my experience of church and my experience of being out on the road and meeting lots of people who love Jesus and were following Jesus. 
And Jared said this really fascinating thing to me, and it's the thing that stuck with me as we began to think through even just what church looks like and how we build community and body and communities of faith in this city. And he said, listen, I, I have no problem with God. No problem with God. It's his fan club I have an issue with. And I was like, oh, you know what? That's fascinating. And so we, do- we dove into that, and he shared with me some of his own experiences of having uh, come into contact with church and come into contact with Christians. And my take-home, my take-home from the, that interaction was this guy, he'd, he'd come into contact with immaturity. He'd come into contact with believers and church that had, he'd had an interaction with immaturity, immature Christians and immature church. And in, in that context, I started to really believe that actually we could be part of building the infrastructure of family on earth, the body of Christ, church on earth, that actually when it began to interact, our, our very created purpose of the body of Christ is to, is to begin to rewrite the story of the region and the city we're in, to begin to write a kingdom story. And I want that story when people like Jared comes into contact with Christians to be something where they, they meet the full maturity of the, of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Amen. and a father who yes. loves them, and not necessarily the more immature bits of the church, which he'd obviously run into. And so I, you know, we began to journey in terms of building church, and 10 years, we, 10 years ago, we took on leading Vine Life Church, and uh, about seven years ago, I started working for Jesus Culture, and our church is part of the Jesus Culture family, which is a beautiful family to belong to, two churches, one in Sacramento, California, and one here in Manchester, and so it's been an amazing journey, but that moment when I had that conversation with Jared really marked me, because I was like, actually, I want our defining uh, our defining culture to be something where when people meet people who are part of our community, they genuinely meet God, and they, they meet the maturity of, of the body of Christ. They meet the maturity of sons and daughters. They don't come up against immaturity, and um, Lord spoke to us. Yeah, it's good. That's worth it. Yeah. Um, the Lord really challenged us recently around uh, the whole concept of Romans 8. You know, that the, the world is literally waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters. Paul uses this word. He uses the word huios. In other places, he uses this word technon, which is infant sons and daughters. But in Romans 8, he's really intentional. The, the world, Manchester, our city, the infrastructure of education and family and your neighbors, they're waiting for something, not a church service or a program. They're waiting for the revealings of mature, huios, mature sons and daughters. And so if we wow. build that, I'm like, actually, you know what? I, want, I will never get the whole of this city into my church, but I will get all of my church into the city. And so that's awesome. I want to go a, yeah. a direction in that because uh, one of the reasons I was excited about doing this interview with you on the podcast is one of the stories you told me about the Manchester bombing. And that was a very somber time. I mean, it affected, uh, we were in LA and it was just, we were praying immediately. We have friends who were part of the tour. We have people that were like calling us right away and saying, pray, you guys, this is devastating. I mean, Aria Grande, just that was one of the most devastating moments of her life to have that happen in her, in context to her place. But something really beautiful happened out of this. And I want to hear that story and I want us to hear that. Yeah, I guess, you know, you will all know uh, May 2017, what happened at the arena. And um, it was really fascinating for us, and for many of you who are part of the church in the city, we're just kind of like, well, what's our response? Like, in, in what was a, was a very dark time for our city, like, what does the shining light of the presence of God have to speak to the future of our city? And, and, and a, lot, a lot of us, we kind of just were like, well, we don't know. Let's see what happens. 
And I think um, what was fascinating is that, how many of you remember on the, the next day, there was the, the big thing that happened on the town hall. There was the vigil. And Tony Walsh, who is a, a, a poet, he, he, uh, he gave that poem about Manchester. Remember the poem? And this poem went globally. There was, um, Tony Walsh is literally from that day to today been inundated by just having to go and perform that wow. poem. And in that poem, it began to speak of the tenacity and the character and the nature of Manchester. And I think our city connected with that in a moment of great um, desperation and a great darkness. And, and even from a non-Christian poet, began to connect with the real narrative, the, the very creative purpose of our city, which is something far greater than what had happened the day before. It was something uh, that connected us to actually the strength of our city. And a friend of mine who's part of our community, the next day, this, this whole um, poem was ringing around his head. And Tony Walsh threw out this line right at the very end of the poem. And it wasn't part of the poem that he'd originally wrote, but he said right at the very end, he said, um, Manchester, choose love. It wasn't, it wasn't yes. something he'd planned. It wow. wasn't something he just said, Manchester, choose love. And my friend was like, you know what, um, what's our response? What's our, what's our story going to be where we attach, uh, attach a new future to the story of our city? And, and so my friend, uh, he runs a creative agency in Manchester, and, and the Lord spoke to him the day after this vigil, and he said, I want you to gather the, creatives, the creative agencies of the city, and I want you to put together with this poem a story of hope, a narrative of love that would redefine and reorientate away from a great place of darkness through to, through to and towards a great story of hope. And so my friend James um, set to gather together over 60 creative agencies, some of the biggest creative agencies actually in the world who live and reside and work here in, in Manchester, some of the most uh, famous um, artists and creatives who have, who have uh, designed album covers that you will have in your album collection, and, and these creators who came together, and they all said yes, and they took hold of a one line from a poem, and, they, and James created, created created and curated, this book called This is the Place. And um, very quickly, the, the press got hold of this, and, and, and the book um, actually was, was going to be a fundraiser. I think it raised close to 200,000 pounds for uh, the victims and the victims' families. But very quickly, this, this whole story of what was coming out of Manchester as, as, as something devastating had happened, that actually the creative community began to come together and speak a very different story. And right at the heart of that was somebody who knew that prophetically he would get the opportunity to bring people together and write a very different story. And so throughout this book and throughout his uh, opportunity to connect with city officials and to begin to, through this book, write a very different story. Um, produced this book called This is the Place. And, um, and actually, to the, um, James, who's the guy, um, through this whole process, he, was, he ended up becoming um, um, Captain Manchester. I didn't even know that existed, but the city recognizes an individual every year who does something of significance. And James was voted as Captain Manchester. And again, he's a believer who was just like, prophetically, in our darkest moment, I want to speak to our, our created purpose. I mean, come on. That's amazing. I just think I dream a lot in my heart, not dream as far as night dreams. I do that too, but I dream a lot in my heart about what would happen if we were at the right place at the right time to build the monuments that actually celebrate the identity of our city. You know, to build the songs. I think of America and we have the, the flag that was raised in the Battle of Hiroshima 
And in that moment, we were losing and we lost morale as a nation. And one photograph came out in the newspaper all around the country and changed the disposition of our nation in one moment. In just one moment. And I love what God can do in one moment through somebody who says yes. And I love the story because it's, just, it's one of your friends who, and one of your people who was involved in your ministry who just, they connected to that. They connected to this is a moment, this, but it can be God's moment. And I think that we need, I, that's why I love doing this podcast, because we can, we can hear these things and we can go, yes, God, wow, but then it may make us present when something happens around us to make a different choice than we would have before we heard this, which is super, super profound. Well, tell me this. You've done a lot of obviously amazing things. You're involved with a lot of amazing things, but what, I have to ask this question. It's my favorite question to ask, putting you on the spot. What's the riskiest prophetic thing you've ever done? Such a good question. I should have thought about this because I've been with you over the last couple of days as you've asked people this. <laughs> Most riskiest prophetic thing. I used to prepare people this question, but they answer like all eloquently when I prepare yeah. them. But when I, when I do it raw, I get better answers. So it's okay if it takes a second. No, it's good. Um, when I was gr- uh, a teenager and I was kind of growing in the prophetic, we, I was involved in uh, and connected to a thing called Soul Survivor, which is a, a huge youth movement in, uh, in our nation. And... Um, I remember Mike Pilavachi, who, again, was, was a, a father in, in, our, in our nation and, and wanting to raise up young people to fully connect to who they are in the Lord and hear his voice. And uh, I had this random thing with, with Mike where um, I, in the, in the smaller gatherings and smaller meetings that he used to do um, several, several decades ago, um, every time I used to sit in the meetings and he would open up a time for us to hear the Lord for one another, a time to kind of activate the prophetic, I would, I would never get prophetic words specific for people, but every time I would get, um, I, God would single somebody out in the room that I knew was carrying a prophetic word for somebody, and, and I would never get my own prophetic word. I was, so I would sit in these meetings, and I'd say, I'm really sorry, I don't have a prophetic word, but I know that you do have a prophetic word. And it was this bizarre, uh, it, it happened numerous times. And I felt like I got to the point where I was like, I was so hungry for God to give me a word for somebody. But every time it was part of the, part of the thing the Lord was doing with me as a teenager. And I remember back to that because it, 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 it started and sparked a prophetic journey for me. I, I've been around prophetic. It's funny, we were talking about Bob Jones earlier. And I, I went back um, when I turned 40, I went back and... When I was 12 years old, um, Bob did that thing, you know, where he would hold his hands up. And um, I was 12 years old. And uh, I had no idea what he said over my life. But when I was turning 40, I went back and my parents had written everything down. And I went back and, and Bob literally walked through from my, the age of 12 to the age of 35 all the significant things that I did in my life. Wow. And, I, and, and part of that, part of actually reading some of that reconnected me again with with who I was in journeying uh, in the prophetic as a young teenager and, and knowing what it was to take risks. I think er- every day is a prophetic risk journey as a church leader because I, I guess you're, you're trying to create, I think we're trying as a community c- to create the future of what the body of Christ looks like in a city. Uh, and I, I, I'm very thankful to the Lord to, um, to be p- part of a much bigger story that involves lots of other people. But I think connecting uh, that to the, just the rich heritage of learning to hear God's voice and, and those times when he would, you know, as a young teenager, would, would uh, push me out of my comfort zone. So I think just all of those kind of things. No, I love it. I love those kinds of things. And I think uh, one of the things that I want to highlight in this whole thing is 
there's not many people who are emerging right now uh, on a mass scale that are seeing and having a vision for transformation of culture. I think it is the new theme. It's where God's going to take the whole church, is we're going to look at the kingdoms of this earth belong to God. Satan tried to offer Jesus something that was already his. You can have the keys of the kingdom. I'll give you everything. He's like, I already got those, thanks. And then he gave them to us, which is amazing. And so I think even just hearing your stories, it just gives me so much hope. I know it gives you guys hope. How do we get a hold of Vine Life and then also anything else we're doing in ministry that you want to highlight? Because I want these guys to be able to get involved with you and also a worldwide audience to get involved with you. Yeah, so obviously um, we're doing a bunch of stuff with, uh, with Jesus Culture over here in the UK and Europe. Um, we, we started a couple of years ago a new movement on university campuses called Campus Awakening, which is uh, we're now in nine different locations, eight in the UK and, and one in, uh, two in Switzerland, Lausanne and Geneva, uh, planting really through the local church um, uh, equipping students towards a normal Christian life and all of this in terms of supernatural identity as sons and daughters, the reality of the prophetic, and really raising up a generation that will take responsibility for the spheres of society that they're going into. So not just thinking about how do we gather people towards church, but ultimately how do we send them with the significance of who they really are, with the full inheritance of the kingdom of heaven into the places and spaces across society. And so campusawakening.co.uk is a great place to go check out if you want to find out a little bit more about university stuff. Vinelife.co.uk, you can, uh, you can find out about us there. But uh, we run a, a, a conference, a Jesus Culture Conference here in Manchester. We just had it in March. How many of you came out to the Manchester Conference? Woo-hoo! Very cool. We got about 3,000 people this last year and just had a blast. We'll be doing that again in a couple of, uh, uh, not next year, but the following year. So uh, be watching out for Jesus Culture noise about what we're doing here in the UK and beyond. And you guys also, you stream or something, your services, because I've, I've listened to you a couple times. I don't know if you know this, but I've listened to you a couple times from your website. So you actually stream. Is it stream or just you have a podcast yeah, or something? Yeah, just podcast. So you can. Podcast. So you can listen. If you're enjoying Phil, you can help, tell there's some good DNA in there to listen to. It's like there's some meat in there that you need to chew on. And he and his leaders teach like just cultural things that are so relevant. So they'd be a great supplement to your regular church and spiritual journey. I will just say on that. Like, definitely go and uh, podcast my wife's teaching. I go, I get to travel a bunch of places around the world, and I kid you not, everywhere I go, they go, oh, you're from Vine Life. I listen to Sarah's podcast all the time. <laughs> Sarah's podcast. No one podcast. has ever listened to my podcast. I have not got a problem with that. Sarah is one of the most phenomenal uh, teachers. Uh, go listen to her podcast. She is incredible. I love the promotion of Sarah because she really is incredible. So thank you so much for being with me. Can we just give him a hand? That was amazing. So appreciate you. Hey, Exploring the Prophetic Family. This is Sean Bowles. And I don't know if you know this, but Bowles Ministries, our ministry, puts together these podcasts for you every week. If you're listening in your car or your gym or at home while you're making your kids lunch for school, wherever you're listening to this, We have done our best to put together a quality podcast to explore the subject of hearing God's voice with you. And we want to continue to do this, and we need your partnership. I want to encourage you, if you're loving the show, if you're connected to the show, there's three ways you can partner. Number one is we would love your prayer support. Pray for us. This is not an easy thing to do week after week after week. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of coordination. And it also takes a lot of spiritual presence, just being present with what God's doing. Number two, 
financially support us. We would love your financial support and partnership. We have an incredible partnership program where you can engage with a community of people who are partnering with Bulls Ministries to send the message of hearing God's voice around the world. We do events. We do, of course, this podcast. We do all kinds of things that are free things where we give videos online. We do uh, webinars. We do all kinds of things to encourage people to hear God's voice and to activate their gifts, to activate them in the faith it takes to go on this incredible journey. So financially support us by going to bullsministries.com. And the third way you can help us is to subscribe and also leave a review under the podcast and share it with your friends. Share it on your social media platform. Tell your friends about it at work. Tell your friends about it at church. And the more you help us, the word of mouth is our most powerful source of engaging the community of people who are hungry for this kind of a subject. So be part of our, our ministry team, our prayer ministry team, our partnership team, but also be a voice for what you're listening to. If you love it, tell the stories of the people who are telling the stories to you. Thank you so much for listening. Come on the journey with us and please enjoy season two.